Hello and welcome to the Full Spectrum Holistic Health Podcast. This podcast is all about holistic health, what it is, various holistic and alternative health therapies, and how those may help you to be a healthier and happier person. Thanks for choosing to listen today. I know there are many podcasts out there for you to choose from, and I'm glad you are here. I'm the host for the podcast, Dr. Anthony Burton. I'm a Reiki master, EFT therapist, meditation teacher, and a shamanic practitioner. My goal is to help people be healthier in body, mind, and spirit, and that's why I'm here. A large part of what I do is educational in nature because so many people are unaware of the power and efficacy of various holistic and alternative therapies. In these podcasts, we'll hear stuff that will inform you, enlighten you, and help energize and balance you. Of course, it won't always be only my opinions and ideas, because occasionally I will be interviewing knowledgeable and interesting guests from a variety of areas of holistic and complementary health practices. So kick back and relax, open your mind, and listen. Spectrum Holistic is a complementary health and wellness business located in Northwest Georgia, USA. Check out the website at wwwspectrum holistic.com for more information. Well, it's been far too long since I posted an episode, but I think I have a good reason. If you've been listening to any of my uh, prior episodes, or at least a few of them, you know that my wife and I were caregivers, or are caregivers, for my aged and infirm father who is legally blind, who has Alzheimer's, who uh, can't really hear very well, and that's not all. Recently, uh, actually on July 31st, he fell and broke his hip. Now when you're 86 years old, uh, falling and breaking your hip is (laughs) a really bad thing, and I'm not laughing because it's funny. It's bad because the body doesn't heal that quickly when you're that old. It's bad because if you want, don't want to have surgery, then you're faced with excruciating, grinding pain every time you try to move that leg. If you do want to have surgery, well, then you are faced with the invasive surgical procedure and the inputting of chemicals into your body that do not do well, especially with a person who already has dementia from Alzheimer's or any other sort of dementia. At any rate, uh, he had surgery just a couple of days after breaking the hip, and he is now home with us. Now, we thought after about a week in the hospital, we would be able to bring him home, and it would be uh, not such a bad thing. We would, you know, it would be rough. My wife is a nurse, and of course, you know what I do. I'm a holistic health practitioner, and we would do our best to keep him comfortable until he healed up a little bit. However, it has become more challenging than that. He obviously was influenced by the chemicals. You know, while he was under anesthesia, probably uh, his brain was uh, damaged a little more than it already had been from the Alzheimer's. So he is not really with the program. And after about a week here with us in the home, um, mid-August, we decided that, you know, 
he really needs to be on hospice because he's going downhill so fast. Now it's home hospice, so that means that he's here with us in our spare bedroom. And it means that the two of us are his, not just his caregivers, but his constant 24-7 caregivers who not just, you know, keep an eye on him and feed him meals, but also uh, make sure he gets cleaned up, um, deal with his anger episodes, deal with his uh, dementia, the fact that he thinks he is in places he really is not, and that he's doing things he really is not, or that people are doing things to him that they really are not, and that he is just difficult to deal with becomes combative you well he was becoming combative at first but now he is just simply out of touch with reality no longer combative but he sometimes thinks crazy things are going on so we deal with that that has occupied and consumed a great deal of our time for the last few weeks luckily my wife and I are both at least semi-retired now and uh, we we have time. Uh, she works at home and I work at home. Uh, she she does uh, uh, a little bit outside the home because she is a, a uh, program supervisor for a, a nursing school. But uh, for the most part, she's here at home. So it has been challenging to try and get anything done other than the most necessary things. And I know that that sounds like I'm making excuses. Probably I am, but. Just to let you know, uh, there is a good reason that it's been so long since my last episode. Okay, I want to talk about a sensitive subject. Tobacco use. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It is uh, a sore spot for many people. I have counseled clients telling them that they need to quit smoking to be healthier. But often this falls on deaf ears. And I understand. I mean, besides being a poison, nicotine is a very addictive drug. It is telling, though, that nicotine is also used in the manufacture of organic pesticides. They are called neonicotinoids. And in this pure form, it can even kill a human being pretty quickly. Even though for literal decades we have been warned about its deleterious effects on the human body, Tobacco companies continue to rake in the mega shekels because of a combination of Wall Street ad campaigns and the addictive nature of the herb. And honestly, I make no mistake about it, tobacco is an herb, an addictive toxic herb, but an herb. When tobacco was first brought to England during the reign of Elizabeth I, it was touted as medicinal. Smoking was said to be stimulating and could reduce the effects of hunger. Those who quit smoking are well aware of the post-quitting hunger cravings and how easy it is to gain weight after quitting smoking or even quitting smokeless tobacco unless they are really careful. Now here's a little true story. When I was in 8th grade, I was chubby, but I didn't want to be chubby. So, as a way to try and get some healthy exercise, I went to my school's summer basketball camp. It was open to anyone. You didn't have to be on a basketball team. 
And I figured this was a way to get some exercise. And I like playing basketball anyway. I had a, a hoop in the backyard. The drills were killer, though. And after the second session, and I was soaking wet with sweat and, you know, puffing and red-faced, uh, the coach was driving me home. He asked me why I was in the basketball camp, so I told him. He looked at me and said, now seriously, you know, you ought to start smoking. You'll lose weight that way, easy. And at the time, he was puffing on a camel cigarette. It's not the way a teacher would have broke things nowadays, I'm sure. And I cannot neglect the use of tobacco as a ritual herb in shamanic ceremonies or voodoo rituals or Osha rituals, whether smoked in a pipe or given as, as an offering to the spirits. Tobacco is considered to be a very powerful and masculine herb, spiritually speaking, but that doesn't make it any less harmful when smoked, chewed, or dipped. But at this point, I really want to confine myself to talking about the effects of tobacco on our health. I may talk about a few things you haven't heard addressed before. Maybe. Hopefully. The only mention I'm going to make of lung cancer or throat cancer is this. Time after time after time, medical research has shown how smoking contributes to the development of such lung cancer and throat cancer. But it's not the only causal factor. I know that, but it's a big one. I will mention, however, mouth cancer and nose cancer. Mouth cancer is a terrible thing. I've seen it in people. Their inner tissues of their mouth eaten away or their teeth rotting out, falling out of their jaws. It is not at all pretty. A friend of my family was a cigar smoker and he always thought he was safe because, hey, you don't inhale a cigar the way you do a cigarette so you don't pull that smoke down to your lungs. He contracted nose cancer in his 40s because he would pull the smoke into his mouth blow it out through his nose, but it never got his lungs. And, you know, just when, he, when the, the cigar would burn in his mouth, the smoke would drift up his nose, and also from blowing it out his nose. Never reached his lungs, but it sure messed up his face. But, you know, some of the things that tobacco does to a human body uh, are not as evident, nor talked about as much, in public safety and health messaging. So, let's hit those, a few of them anyway. Let's talk about diabetes and tobacco. If you have diabetes, if you're diabetic, whether you're type one or type two, doesn't matter, tobacco use is associated with increased blood sugar levels as well as increasing blood pressure. And if a person has diabetes coupled with neuropathy, which is a common occurrence. That's where the nerves in the extremities, like your fingers and toes and your hands and feet, uh, become damaged. The neuropathy is often worsened by tobacco use. Now, diabetic neuropathy can manifest in different ways, sometimes in combination in the same individual. The damaged nerves may be so messed up that they fail to transmit proper signals to the brain. So feeling in the extremities is almost non-existent. I had a relative who had diabetes and uh, diabetic neuropathy, and the nerves in her feet and lower legs were so damaged that she could not feel the pedals in her car 
well enough to know whether she had her foot on the brake or the accelerator or simply resting on the floorboard. Now, she was foolish enough to continue to drive anyway, and she was also lucky enough not to have an accident, but not everybody will be that lucky. Other people are sometimes the same people, may have bouts of fiery pain or pins and needles in their hands or feet that last for hours or may occur multiple times in a day. I know one person with diabetic neuropathy who was almost in tears because his feet constantly felt like they were on fire. Now that sounds bad, I know, but it's not all. Broken bones heal more slowly when a person's a tobacco user. In fact, sometimes bones will not knit together at all. This is called a non-union, and it's especially common when the broken bone is a foot, ankle, knee, or wrist. In one study, 95% of non-smokers heal completely when they had such a break, while only 68% of smokers did. But it isn't just your bones. Any injured tissue heals more slowly when someone uses tobacco. Now, why is that? Well, all has to do with how nicotine acts on the body. Nicotine is a vasoconstrictor. This means it causes your blood vessels to contract to as little as 25% of their usual diameter. Now, think about it. If you're trying to pump water to put out a burning house, would you rather use a garden hose or a fire hose. Our blood vessels carry oxygen, white blood cells, and nutrition to our wounds and our broken bones. When that flow is reduced to 25% of what it should be, the injuries simply cannot heal the way they should. This means longer stays in the hospital, longer time in a cast, longer time recovering, and longer time out of work probably without pay. And in some cases, it means the injury simply never heals completely at all. Have you ever wondered why dentists ask you about tobacco use when they may be about to do some sort of procedure? It's not just because your breath will be nasty or your teeth will be especially hard to clean, although both things, those things are true. Nicotine, in other words, tobacco use, is especially bad about inhibiting the healing of mouth tissues, such as from uh, tooth extraction, from oral surgery, or something like that. Why especially? Well, think about it. If you are dipping, or smoking, or chewing, where does all that poisonous nicotine get into your body, and what are the first mucous membranes it encounters? That's right, your mouth. And the mucous membranes are permeable meaning that nicotine passes right into them. So they get the biggest dose of it right there. Okay, by now I know a lot of listeners probably have tuned out completely, and maybe they've gone on to something more fun, maybe a comedy podcast or one about music or serial killers. And some who have not changed to another podcast may be rolling their eyes and saying, yeah, 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 tobacco's bad, I've heard it all my life. Well, there are a lot of things you've been warned about repeatedly, probably. But that doesn't mean the warnings are invalid. I know that it's hard to quit smoking, chewing, 
or dipping. Once you get past the initial nasty taste of it, it can make you feel good. Here's the scientific info about it, taken directly from research on the subject. Our bodies produce chemicals called endogenous opioids. Now those chemicals are produced by our body to help us deal with pain. One of those is called beta-endorphin. I'm sure you've heard of endorphins. They're what produce what's called the runner's high. That positive feeling that occurs when a runner or some other athletes performing at an intense level of physical activity, they get this rush of euphoria. The ache or pain from the exertion seems to disappear. They've gone through the wall. They broke through it to get their second wind. But it's a short-lived euphoria, unfortunately. Tobacco causes our body to produce such endogenous opioids, and that's why most smokers report feeling more relaxed after having a cigarette. But it's not healthy for the user of tobacco. That little rush of feel-good is also accompanied by much less noticeable bad effects. They're there, but they're invisible most of the time, such as an increase in blood pressure, a depression of the body's healing functions, like your immune system and so forth, and a spike in blood sugar. Now I know that most everyone who's listening to this podcast, or who may have turned it off by now, has had it drummed into his, her, or their head that tobacco is bad for them. But there's a lot of peer pressure to get started using tobacco. Whether it's a cigarette, cigar, a pinch of chew, or one of those little packets that get tucked between your cheek and gum. And once you start, it's difficult to stop. That's a fact, because it is addictive. But there are ways to make it easier. Now, let me say something here, though. A lot of people recommend nicotine chewing gum or nicotine patches as a way to stop smoking. And if that's the only way you can get through it, I guess you can use them. But with either of those methods, you are still putting that poison into your system, and it's not healthy. I mean, think about it. It's a nicotine patch or it's nicotine gum. So even if you're not smoking, not lighting up, you're still getting the nicotine. Quitting tobacco is not just about avoiding lung cancer or throat cancer or mouth cancer or COPD. It's also about not poisoning your body with a chemical that causes decreased immunity to disease and slows or even stops the healing process for bone and tissue. That said, if you need the aid of nicotine patches or gum to quit, well, I guess use them sparingly, sparingly, and for the short term. You shouldn't use any of them long term. For example, the long term use of nicotine gum can have the following effects. It increases the risk of developing diabetes if you don't have it already. If you already have diabetes, it makes it worse by decreasing your insulin sensitivity long-term use can contribute to the development of heart arrhythmia and is absolutely dangerous for anyone who already has heart problems. It can cause damage to dental work and is really detrimental to those with dental issues such as TMJ or temporomandibular joint issues. Finally, you can get addicted to the gum itself. I mean, look, it's not bubblegum. It's not Wrigley's Spearmint. 
It is a vehicle for carrying reduced amounts of nicotine into your system to help you stop smoking. So you can become addicted to the gum, especially if, like some users, you chew a lot of the nicotine gum. I knew one person who was trying to use nicotine gum to quit. And I said, how are you doing with that? She says, oh, it's great. I usually chew about three or four pieces at a time because that's the only way I can get through it. <laughs> What's the point there? Okay, so how do you quit? Well, there are other methods that do not involve nicotine gum or nicotine patches. And I don't mean just going cold turkey, although that does work for some people and more power to them. For example, clinical hypnosis has been shown to be effective. In fact, a study in 2014 found that hypnosis was twice as effective as nicotine gum or patches at helping tobacco users maintain non-tobacco use. Specifically, at 26 weeks, 36% of those hypnotized were still tobacco-free, compared to only 18% of those who used the gum or patches. Another method is called NLP, or neurolinguistic programming. It's a neural feedback technique that anyone can learn and practice, and it was helpful in aiding famous author Tony Robbins. You remember him? He wrote that all those books about you know making it big in life. Well, he quit smoking by using. NLP. Lastly, EFT, or tapping, has been shown to be an effective way of quitting smoking, with one case study showing an 80% effectiveness rate. That's amazing. 80% of people who used it in that study were able to quit smoking. So if you really want to quit using tobacco, whether it's cigars or cigarettes or pipe or chewing or dipping or whatever, you can. Is it easy? Of course not. Any chemical addiction is difficult to kick, whether it's heroin or meth or tobacco. But you can do it. Okay, lastly, let's talk about the cost. Now, some people are saying, I can't afford to go to a hypnotherapist or a NLP therapist or a tapping practitioner my gosh, that, that's, i got to pay some money to help me with that? I want you to ask yourself, how much do I spend on tobacco products each week? Just for an example, I looked at cigarette prices state by state, and it varies a lot. But the average price of a pack of cigarettes runs from about $5.50 a pack to, in some places, about $13 a pack. If you are a pack-a-day smoker, Stopping smoking could save you anywhere from $38 to $91 a week. A lot of people smoke more than a pack a day, so do the math. And what could you do with an extra $35 to $100 a week each week? That's a lot. That's you know, if you if you saved $100 a week, that's over five grand a year. You could take a really nice vacation on five grand a year. And also, many insurance plans, they charge you more for coverage if you use tobacco. You get a bonus if you don't use tobacco. And that's not counting the cost for you in having a less healthy body. You know, I know it's your choice. It's your own body. And if you want to poison yourself with an addictive substance, reduce your lifespan, 
make it harder for your body to heal, all the while paying really well for the privilege. Well, what can I say? I can't change your mind. But I hope you think enough of yourself to make a good choice and kick the tobacco to the curb. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here and listening to the podcast today. I trust it has been interesting, informative, and thought-provoking. If you did find it interesting, please be sure and return for another episode and tell your friends about it, too. I'd love it if you did that. It really helps me out. You can share directly from most podcast platforms. It would be really great if you followed or subscribed to the podcast, too. Most podcast platforms have one option or the other. If you want to tell me that you like the show or that you hate it, that you agree with me or disagree with me or anything else, really, I still want to hear from you. Leave a voice message if your particular podcast platform allows that, or send me a message through my website at www.spectrum-holistic.com. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep an open mind. Namaste. Thank you.